0: Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peak, and welcome to episode 412 of HER, the podcast where you're going to hear the truth about her mind, her body, her life, and what matters most to her. We've got a fantastic show coming up, and before we begin, just know that this episode is made possible by our friends at Solaray Vitamins, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y Vitamins, I know, We all try to be able to get all of our vitamins through our veggies and fruits and all the rest of it that many of us don't even see during the day because we try so hard and it just does not work. So we got the Gap taken care of, run on over to Solary Vitamins, especially to the multivites for women to make certain that you fill those gaps because we try, but we're not perfect and that's the way it goes. So go to solaray.com and here's your first reminder to hop on over to iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because my team and I sit around waiting for your feedback, which we love, 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 love. Okay. All right. It's time for Her. Her. Her.
1: The podcast,
0: the naked truth about women, her
1: mind, her body, her life. It's all about her.
0: So I'm trolling around my usual haunts in the Wall Street Journal, and I come along a wonderful piece called, For the New Year, Figuring Out What Matters Most. Okay, you got me at the what matters most. No question about it. So, five strategies that can help us more clearly think about our values and our goals. And our expert today, oh my gosh, we're so happy, is Dr. Valerie Tiberius. Now, Dr. Tiberius is professor of philosophy and the department chair at the University of Minnesota, where she has taught since 1998. Oh my gosh, she's got some street cred here. She earned her BA from the University of Toronto and her MA and PhD from the University of North Carolina. Dr. Tiberius likes to explore the ways in which philosophy and psychology can both contribute to the study of well being and virtue. I love philosophy. Not that I understand it all the time, but I love it. And combining both philosophy and psychology, I think, is one of the coolest things ever. So now. She has a new book out, and it's called, What Do You Want Out of Life? A Philosophical Guide to Figuring Out What Matters. All right, sign me up. I want to hear more. Valerie, welcome to the Her podcast.
1: Thanks so much. What a great introduction. I love it.
0: I know. Well, you know, listen, I do my homework. I want to understand these things one way or the other. So what I always ask is, why did you write this book?
1: Well... Philosophy is a relatively small field, especially compared to psychology and some of the fields in the sciences. And our audiences, therefore, for our academic work are pretty small. So I had written a lot of things about well being for other philosophers, writing academic books, the kind of books that get you promoted (laughs) in academia. And it was actually both the editor at Princeton University Press and my dad who said, you know, Val, these ideas could reach a broader audience and be helpful to other people. So that got me thinking about it. And then during the pandemic, it seemed like I was on leave for a year, and it seemed like the perfect time to just devote all my time to writing.
0: I just think that that's fabulous. And thank you to your dad. (laughs) Because, you know, I love taking something like philosophy and making it practical. It seems a little bit like an oxymoron, but (laughs) just practical philosophy. But you did, and kudos to you, and you made it very human. I'd very much like to, you know, we're going to go back and forth with your book, which I absolutely loved, and go through those five steps that you outlined in your excerpt in the Wall Street Journal. The first one was try a thought experiment. So now we're going to go into the the head of a philosopher who's combining some psychology, and you're going to help us understand this. So what did you mean by that? Try a thought experiment.
1: Well, if you don't mind, I'll back up a little bit and say, if you ask people what their values are, what their deepest, most important goals, they will have an answer. So we tend to think we know what's important to us, but I think the truth is we know at this very general level And it's quite helpful when your goals conflict with each other to get a more specific or precise sense of what really matters to you about, for instance, your career or your family, your health. You'll say those things matter to you, but exactly what matters and in what way. And to do that, I think it's really important for us to be attuned not just to the chatty language side of our brains but also to the emotional parts of our personalities so to get at the emotions we need to use techniques aside from just sitting around and thinking really hard and the thought experiments are one way of trying to get into attuned to to more of yourself Because they use your imagination, so they free up some parts of yourself that are not the hyper-rational storytellers. And one of the thought experiments I talk about in the book is that if you want to know what really matters to you, you can think about what you'd rescue from your house if it were burning down. That's the background.
0: I love it. Okay, so what would you rescue? I mean, my goodness, it makes you really think. What do you actually value? That word value just keeps coming back again and again. And I personally think that many people don't spend enough time thinking about this. And that little experiment most definitely works. And you also tell us to observe your behavior. For instance, I'm going to read right from your thing. If we wanted to know about an animal's values or goals... We would observe its behavior and its reactions to its environment. And if you have pets, yes, you and I both have dogs, you're probably familiar with this mode of investigation. I can absolutely tell you that one dog is so driven with the whole food thing. The other one's a little bit more, okay, I have my meal. I'm not going to get too excited. The other one could eat a mountain. All right, so now I understand that part of the behavior, The question is, what do we do with ourselves? I mean, you say that we're more complicated. We have more complicated goals than dogs, but we're still animals and we still evolve to have certain needs. So take us through this, observe your behavior.
1: Right. So I think trying to, Look at yourself as if you were your owner, (laughs) to think about the dog example, or as if you were a scientist examining human behavior, or as if you were a friend to yourself, can help you look at how you respond to things in an emotional or passionate kind of way, as opposed to just what your more judgy side (laughs) tells you about how you ought to be responding to something. So for example, I'm sure you've probably had friends who you kind of watch them doing something. Maybe it's dating a certain type of person or engaging in a certain kind of like hobby or sport. And every time they go out with that guy or play that sport, they just end up sad and in this period of low self-esteem. But they have this whole narrative of themselves as like, I am the person who plays softball or I am the person who dates this type of people. That's my type. But as a friend, you can look at them and you could, if you're a good friend, you could even point out, you know, you think you care about this thing, but it's actually making you really unhappy. And I think we can do that to ourselves. We can Try to get a little bit of distance on ourselves and see, like, I'm doing these things. How do I feel about that? If I sort of turn off my judgment and just think about how I respond to it emotionally, I think we're not awesome at that, doing that with ourselves, but I think we can do it to a certain degree.
0: I think so too. It's a little easier for someone like myself. I'm kind of laughing because I'm a clinical scientist, I'm a physician. And I do clinical science. So I love observing. I'm an observing kind of person. And I don't mind observing myself. And that also means you need to be open to other people's input into your own behavior. Just open up your heart, park your ego at the door, and just listen.
1: Right, for sure. I wonder if being a physician, if you're more attuned to your own physical symptoms of like stress and maybe joy, because I think our bodies can tell us about when we are taking on too much or taking on the wrong things.
0: Well, you know, you ask a very interesting question, and I'm going to give you a funky answer. Hell no. (laughs) Now, I am because I'm something else, and that is I'm an athlete. And so because of that, obviously, athletes are exquisitely attuned to their bodies, because our bodies are the instrument that we do our thing with, our minds and our bodies. So I think that people who have to use their bodies more are much more attuned to that. But, you know, you'd hope that medical care providers would be attuned, but the answer is no. I think there's a lot of sweeping the stuff under the rugs, you know, with stress and things like that.
1: I actually think you might be being a little bit too charitable to some athletes, too, I think if you're an athlete who's aging, you get better at it. But young athletes often just drive themselves into ACL tears. And well, actually, you're right.
0: But the issue is that they're still more attuned to their body because they have to be. You know, they're going to say, okay, my calves work well. You know, somebody walking down the street who's not an athlete is not going to say that usually. They're like, yeah, they're walking along and hoping the body kind of follows with them. But it's an interesting question. And I think it's something we all need to ponder. Speaking of questions, your next step is ask yourself questions. Imagination can help us get in touch with hidden motivations that we don't usually articulate. So tell us what you meant by ask yourself questions.
1: So this is actually, there's been some research on goal-setting practices done by psychologists who say that it's helpful for people to be pretty direct and explicit about trying to articulate what their most important goals are. So you can ask yourself, well, what do I actually want? This is sort of more purely introspective, where you are actually just sitting and thinking. But it's not useless to do that. So you can also ask yourself questions that are a little bit more creative and that, let loose the imagination. So for instance, I had a career coach once who asked me to, you know, she tried to get me into a kind of relaxed frame of mind. And then she asked me to visualize a billboard and it's a billboard about me. And what does it say? And that was quite an interesting question to ask because... What came out was something about writing a good book and something about my research. And at the time, that was really important for me to realize about myself that I cared that much about it because I was focused on other things.
0: You know, something occurs to me too. People, oft times, don't realize their own assets. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to be delightfully general here. And that is many times the things you do the easiest are the things that are tremendous assets that you kind of blow over because they're so easy. That could be everything from playing a musical instrument to dancing to sports to whatever. People just blow it off, but it was easy for them. And then someone has to stop them and say, well, well wait a minute now. You're actually superb at, and then fill in the blank. And that could be, you know, everything from, I'm superbly organized, and I could be someone who could help other people organize, et cetera, and back and forth. So it's kind of cool to ask yourself lots of questions and listen to feedback as well. And you also ask the question, what did I learn from this? I don't know about you, Valerie, but I'm all about life lessons, And listening to everything around me and really trying to absorb how I may have affected something, good, bad, or otherwise. And I love the whole issue of the learning process because it takes out all these words, good, bad, judgy, you know, all these things that we do to ourselves. We simply say, well, I remember when I was in high school and they said, okay, they threatened us with gymnastics. I'm five foot nine. This is never gonna happen, right? And I'm not built for gymnastics. I'm actually a mesomorphic triathlete. I don't belong on a balance bar. It's just never gonna happen. And I tried it because my teacher was sort of mean, and I promptly fell off the damn thing. And I said, This is you know, hell to the no. This is not happening. And so what did I learn from this? Gymnastics is not in my future. However, volleyball is. Okay, it's just things like that. Because this also takes us to your next step, which is learn from other people. What about that?
1: Oh my God, you just said 10 million interesting things that I wanted to say something about, and then you changed the topic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Valerie, have at it. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to go because I just love the point you made about how sometimes our assets, we undervalue them because they're easy for us. And I just think that's such an important thing and it really ties in with with the point about learning about yourself. And it also ties in with being a woman in a field that's not maybe the most welcoming to women because women are often good at things that they take to be their second nature and they don't think about it as an asset. Women have high, well, this is a generalization, but women tend to have high emotional intelligence to be good at helping other people manage conflicts. You know, I had those kinds of skills, but I didn't think anything of them. So that was something I had to try to see myself from the outside and look at what other people appreciated about me to figure out, oh, well, that is actually a skill that is good to have. So anyway, that's what I wanted to follow up about from before. But what was your new topic?
0: So the new one is, you know, how about feedback from people? Learn from other people.
1: Yes. And I think just like we can, we can try to take an outsider's perspective on ourselves. We can try to be a friend to ourselves and think about, well, what would I say to me if I were my friend looking at me? If you have a good enough friend, you can go directly to an outside person and find out your friend's perspective on the kinds of goals that you're pursuing, whether they're actually bringing you joy or making you bored and depressed. There is a caveat to this one, though, which is that sometimes other people can have an agenda. And so you have to be careful who you listen to. I don't know if that resonates with you.
0: That absolutely resonates with me. I say that in life, nobody knows you better than you. I mean, obviously, you live in you. However, it's nice to have one, two, three people-ish who absolutely, as it were, get it with you without being you. And these are not people who have massive agendas. These are people who will not be there to use you for some purpose. They're not users. They're just people who will give you an honest, Feedback. They're transparent. They can even be a bit acid and harsh, but they're going to give you the truth in their mind. Does this mean you have to follow absolutely everything they say? Of course not. I mean, you're obviously taking in a lot of voices, but I would say that in life, it's just absolutely priceless to be able to have one, two, three people, whatever, even more, but you don't need a million, to be able to derive some kind of transparent, authentic feedback where you can trust that they're, generally speaking, not there to use you, take advantage of you, but instead really, truly
1: care about you. What do you think, Valerie? Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And watch out for the users, and hopefully you can figure out who they are before you start taking their perspective on board. But aside from that, the perspective of other people can be other people who, as you say, who actually care about you and care how your life goes. Those perspectives can be so helpful. And I even think, so I'm not totally committed on this one, but I have read some research that shows that we actually, for certain kinds of traits, we don't know ourselves as well as other people know us. So there's some empirical evidence for this from a psychologist, Samin Vazir, who studies self-knowledge, and she makes the case that, like, certain kinds of traits that are very inward, you know better than anyone else. But traits that have a more outward orientation, other people are actually, they can have a more accurate perception of what you are like in terms of those traits than you have yourself, which I think is fascinating. I'm not 100% sure I believe it, but it's a pretty interesting thought.
0: Well, you know, I also have a trick that I use. And the trick I use is when people say, oh, I don't know what my assets are. I don't know how to learn from other people. Uh," And I say, hey, grab about, if you can, 10 people, including your most trusted people, and then also some people who are kind of like, you know, on your A minus list and ask them to do the simplest little favor. And that is to email you or text you, whatever, words or phrases or a sentence that best describes your top assets. And then grab all of that and put it up, you know, like on a whiteboard or something, write them all down. Look for some kind of a consistent theme. You know, like 90% of them said, you're so organized, they want to kidnap you and bring you home. And so you're saying to yourself, but I never even thought about that because I don't know, it just comes easy. Well, for the other people, it's a nightmare. And so you have an asset there you didn't even know. And then other things that you're not totally aware of, like you have an acid wit, like your wit is just like, whoa. Are you actually talking about me here? Was that a hypothetical? Oh, no, I'm talking about a hypothetical. Okay. This is completely hypothetical. And I've actually asked people to do this because they get, they find it difficult to be able to ask people for Feedback. So when you simply ask people to give you words, phrases, or a simple sentence or two, more than likely, they'll take five seconds and do it. It'll be fairly straightforward. So that was just one simple little way I found to at least open the door to getting feedback from other people.
1: That's a fantastic strategy. And if you have that many people who are willing to do that for you, you're already pretty lucky. And maybe a lot of people do. It's a great strategy. And it does, it gives you that information about the things that you can't see about yourself. It fits with, so the thing I really like about your thought that you ask 10 people and then you look for common themes, it's a version of what I call triangulating. Like if you're worried that some of your friends might either have an agenda or not be very perceptive, then ask many people and see what the overlap is. So I I think that's very, that's very wise.
0: Exactly. And I've used this in corporate America. I really find this to be quite important, especially as people are giving each other feedback. Now, your final one here is explore new Possibilities go where no woman has gone before. It's a little Star Trekian kind of situation here. But you said when it comes to thinking about values, we have to start where we are with the values that we have. But this doesn't mean that we shouldn't explore what else is out there. Insofar as our values are undefined and vague, we need to know the options for making them more specific. And then you gave an example take family, for example. So I don't know, take us through a little bit of this.
1: So in the early forms of this book, I had some comments from people who thought, well, this sounds like a lot of navel gazing that you're just like thinking about yourself and your values. And I wanted to be very clear that that's, it's not just purely look within and ignore the world kind of approach, because I think the way that we happen to think about the things that are important to us. It could be shaped by all sorts of facts about our childhoods or what kind of education we had. And we could end up valuing things in ways that really don't suit us very well, that don't suit our personalities or our circumstances when you know life changes. So I think it's really important to make a point of seeing how else could I live up to the value of family besides the way that was modeled by my parents? How else could I think about what it is to have a successful career besides what I have seen from my little in-group? So, I think actually exploring the world is a good way to do this, but I also think reading fiction, listening to good podcasts with people you don't know about, all sorts of ways that you learn about any kind of avenue when you can learn about the world and how other people manage to interpret those core values is really helpful because it increases our options and allows us more successfully to find something that really fits who we are and fits with our life.
0: Yes. You wrote something in your wonderful book now, and it's actually in the conclusion. So you brought it up right now, and I thought it was one of the most important pieces. Literally, if you were to boil down the whole damn book, in many respects, this was beautiful. And this was thinking about yourself as a goal seeker can seem individualistic. I have my goals, you have yours, and we each seek to attain them independently. But this appearance of individualism is really just that. Seeking to fulfill your values is only as lonely as the values themselves. We value other people, our relationships with them, the communities we share, and the work we do together. Other people are indispensable for learning about ourselves and for sustaining our sense that what we are doing makes a difference. Now, here's the sentence, to find our best values, we should recognize all the ways in which our values connect us to each other. I just love that. I mean, that just says it all. I thought it was beautiful. So tell us a little bit more about that, Valerie.
1: Oh, I have such a big smile on my face right now. I'm so glad that you would pick up on that as a really important part of the book because I feel like it is, (laughs) you're right. I'm just really glad about that. So I think there's some ways in which our, well, let's go back to looking at yourself as the animal that you are. Human beings are social creatures. We have evolved, and each of us develops to be interdependent with other people in community. Now, that's not to say that there aren't any hermits. Maybe they are, but those people are a bit unusual, and most of us are deeply social creatures. There's some ways that the connections we have to other people are very obvious to our values, because most people do value family and friendship, and Valuing family and friendship, I think part of that is valuing being a good friend to other people and being a good spouse or a good parent or a good sibling or whatever. But if you think about even other kinds of values, like you mentioned being a triathlete, you can't really do that by yourself. That seems like a lonely sport, but I would bet that you train with people, you go to competitions that are organized by other people. I'm a cyclist and I like to ride by myself, but I also often ride with other people. I go to bike shops and look at gear and I talk to people about my bike. And so it's just almost everything we do, I think has a social dimension. And I think if, you know, recognizing that really helps us come to a set of values and, a, and an interpretation of those values that's that's richer.
0: Yes. And there's actually a word for it. These wonderful. Well, one of the guys associated with this is going to be on one of my future podcasts, and that is social fitness. Oh, cool. Yeah. And this is the 85-year study of, unfortunately, it was only men, but it eventually involved their progeny. So finally, women showed up. I'm just taking a sidebar here of grrr, you know, when they never do these things with women. But this was 85 years. So I mean, okay, fine. The sucker's been going on for a long time. But they've just published their next book with the newest data. And of all the predictors for health and well-being, You know, and they looked at fitness and eating clean and meditating under oak trees and, you know, just the whole thing. The people who lived the longest, who did the best, who had the rich. Now, when I said lived the longest, I meant in a robust life because lifespan means nothing to me unless it involves health span, which means you're living a vibrant life and you're able to get up those stairs. You're able to keep up with the grandchildren, all the rest of it. So what they found was that those people who had the richest relationships, family, friends, colleagues, you know, however you wanted to cobble it together, those were the people who actually had the highest quality of life and it spilled into their actual health span. So they were able to have and achieve those longer years of disease-free, and, and really optimal health and well-being. So to your point about that's what one of the reasons why I just said, oh boy, she's totally, Valerie, you nailed it and you probably never knew it because their book came out the same time yours did. And so all great minds think together that everyone's really going to the same place. It's a place of connectivity, And we can't all be Thoreau out in the middle of a forest doing his gig. And even he had a little town nearby that he hung out in. So let's just not assume Mr. Thoreau was always out there pining away with the pines. And so you know what I'm saying? But what do you think of that whole thing of social fitness?
1: Yeah, I love it. And in fact, that research, I knew about that research before the book was published. I've heard people give talks about it. And I was definitely influenced by it. So it's part of, you know, you mentioned in your introduction that I am someone who tries to put philosophy and psychology together. And and that's one of the ways I think psychology, we can learn from psychological research as philosophers, we can learn that we are profoundly social creatures and that everything works better when we are in relationship with other people. I didn't know the phrase social fitness, and I'm glad, I'm glad to learn that. Though. Well, it
0: just actually happened. This is all brand new. I think they're the ones who coined it. And needless to say, I'm writing my next book right now. So that little hummer went right into it in a big way because we just absolutely have to incorporate that in our lives. They said even it was something that was even more valuable than making sure to get those 10,000 steps in and all the rest of it. And needless to say, it all works together is the main thing. More than anything else, Valerie, I'm very serious. I've made a new best friend here, and I'm going to threaten you coming back onto the podcast as a repeat offender of ours, because I really think your ideas and your thoughts as manifested in your new book are just spot on. And I think that the women and all of our audience out there can really take some of these thoughts and put them to work for themselves. Because in your book, you also have really neat ways to resolve conflicts. I love that chapter called Strawberries and Safety, or How to Resolve Conflicts. Because as you begin to implement a better program for yourself for health and well being. I mean, the first thing you do is run into a roadblock. So, what do you do? You, you know, how not to be paralyzed, how to move this along is so key. So, everyone out there on the Herb Podcast land, we have been talking to Dr. Valerie Tiberius, who is a philosopher, professor of philosophy, and department chair at the University of Minnesota. She has written a book that I just think is a must. And this is What Do You Want Out of Life? A Philosophical Guide to Figuring Out What Matters. And she does it in a beautiful, engaging way. She's the mommy to dogs who are precious to her. And she integrates so much of her own personal thing into the book. She weaves Weaves it into the fabric of the book, which makes it so human and makes it come alive. So again, what do you want out of life? A philosophical guide to figuring out what matters. And if you want to learn more about her, please go to Valerie, and that's a I-E-V-A-L-E-R-I-E, Tiberius, t i b e r i u s dot com to learn more about her work and the book, Valerie I can't thank you enough and I know that our listening audience is just going to be thrilled with this entire episode. So thank you.
1: Thank you. This was a delightful conversation. I'll come back anytime you want.
0: Okay, remember, I'm that's a threat and a promise right there. You know, I'm just saying and I want everyone out there to please take a moment to hit iTunes right now, rate and review the show because I want to hear from you. And another major shout out to our sponsor, Solaray Vitamins. And ladies, run on over. You need your multivites. You know you do. Mm, We try so hard, but the multivites start there and then have a little look around, troll around and look at all the other wonderful vitamins, minerals, and herbals that we have to be able to help you. Come on. We want to have optimal health and well-being here. Solarae.com. Oh, what a pleasure it is. I am Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at PamPeekMD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast On iTunes, Radio MD, Spotify, I'm all over the place. Hey, thanks for listening today. (laughs) Stay safe and stay well.